It's time now for today's edition of Community Conversations. It's the interview program in which we dialogue with voices from the Omaha community. And here's your host for Community Conversations. Let's welcome Cami Carlisle. Hello, and welcome to another edition of Community Conversations. I'm Cammie Carlisle, and today we have our incredibly hardworking Douglas County Health Director, Dr. Lindsay Hughes, in the studio today. Dr. Hughes, it is so great to have you with us. How are you, honestly? <laughs> Thank you uh, for the invitation, first of all, to, to come on your show. It's very exciting. And actually, I'm doing not too bad uh, doing good. pretty good. It's been it's been an interesting roller coaster the past seven or so months, uh, <laughs> but at least that keeps things interesting, right? To say the least. Did you have? Well, I guess you probably knew when you started, maybe what you were getting into, maybe. Well, yes and no. So, you know, we were kind of in this lull in in the pandemic, and I think that a lot of us kind of took a deep breath. And mm-hmm. thought, okay, it's it. We're we're in a we're in a good place now. It's going to be fine. Uh, of course, within like two weeks of getting here, our numbers started to shoot up again with that uh, that Delta right. variant. Um, but you know, a lot of people jumped ship kind of in that same period. If you mm-hmm. kind of look across the workforce, um, as soon as things kind of slowed down a little bit, I, I think there was kind of almost a national sense that hey, ready for a change. Right, right. Jobs. Oh, I think the whole world is ready for a change. But we'll get to COVID in a bit because I just imagine you're maybe a little bit sick about talking about that. So how about we talk about you for a minute or two? Okay. Our listeners would love to know. Now, are you from Nebraska? Yes, yes. I was born and raised in Gearing, Nebraska, which is a Ah. little town in the panhandle um, just south of Scotts Bluff. Um, Oh, very good. they're, They're almost attached. I, I can't say that they're the same because there's a rivalry that happens there. Uh, but, but yes, uh, you basically, if you're on the south side of the Platte, you're you're in Gearing. If you're on the north side of the Platte River, you're in Scotts Bluff. So that I grew wow. up, there, went to uh, college there uh, for my for my bachelor's degree, um, and then uh, worked in Lincoln actually for five years oh. after. So I am from Nebraska. Yes. Okay, because I was looking at some of your past experience and education, and you have done a lot, a lot. And what I love is that somehow you've made your way back to Nebraska, for better or worse, right? So did you go to school in Wyoming for, oh, wait, Colorado in Wyoming for your medical schooling, right? So um, I went to, so got my bachelor's in nursing in Western Nebraska. So UNMC has several branches of nursing school uh, around the state. So I went to the one in Scotts Bluff, which was so great. And then uh, for my master's degree, I actually went to the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill for my master's in public health. And then I got my doctorate in nursing practice uh, from University of Colorado Anschutz. So yeah, it kind of was all over the place uh, for that, but it, it actually worked out pretty well. Yeah, I'd say so. So what made you want to go into this line of work? Did you always, did you always as a girl dream, like, I'm going to grow up and be a nurse or a doctor? Or what, how did you get here? Yeah, no, not, as, not <laughs> at all. Not at all. Um, I actually grew up in a very artistic and musical family. So I grew up... Yeah. Uh, painting and, and sketching and singing and playing the piano and the flute and 
I'm oh. kind of excelling in these very right-brained areas. Mm-hmm. And so I think there was kind of the assumption that that's what I would do with my life, including my own assumptions. Uh, about two weeks before I graduated from high school, so I was I was planning to go to art school and become a graphic designer. And about uh, two weeks from graduation, my very best friend dragged me into the guidance counselor's office uh, at high in our high school and said, "You can't go to art school because." If you become an artist, you'll have to eat paint chips to stay alive. I was like, thanks for the vote of confidence up there. Thanks. Wow. <laughs> um, and she at the time was planning to go to nursing school. And she said, don't don't go to art school. You should go to nursing school with me. You can go to Western Nebraska Community College and then go to the, you can do it all right here. And so um, I am not typically someone who is prone to peer pressure. But for whatever <laughs> reason, I said, yeah, sure. That sounds great. So literally changed on a dime. Uh, wow. Full trajectory of my life. Yeah. Completely nutty. Went home, told my parents, hey, I'm going to I'm going to go to nursing school. And they were like, have you even taken a science class before? I mean, it was very out in left field for me to make that decision. But I have to say that it was absolutely the right decision. Um, nursing school was hard. I was a first uh, first generation college attendee. So uh, didn't have, you know, a lot of background on what that looks like for someone going to college and how to study and all of that stuff. Um, So I just kind of jumped into it. uh, And really, when I took when I had my community health public health nursing course, that is where, like the deal got sealed there. Uh, I really knew that's where I belonged because of that kind of 30,000 foot um, systems level thinking that it requires. So you're thinking about entire communities and, you know, it's not just one person you're thinking about, how do I prevent problems for an entire community? And one of my strengths is ideation. So I like having ideas. I love brainstorms. So that just was a great place for me to be. So I just stuck with that. That's amazing. So it just clicked and you went with it and here we are lucky us. That is amazing. Do you still play music and paint or draw or do any of those creative things? I do. I do. Actually, that's self-care for me now. So uh, I I don't probably sing as much as I used to. Uh, My vocal cords get used plenty at work with as much talking as I do. So I sing in the car. I sing in the shower, uh, you know, but probably not too much other than that at this point. But uh, from the art perspective, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Um, I have sketchbooks stashed everywhere. In fact, if you come in my office, you'll probably find two or three of them because there are just times when uh, you just there, what you're going through kind of creates a picture in your head and you just need to get it out. Um, Mm -hmm. So there's lots of that happening. Don't have a lot of room for painting right now, but I did take up um, costume sewing for, for, I, I actually apprenticed. Uh, at a ballet school in Colorado, just on a volunteer basis, a school that my daughter was attending. And uh, that kind of is translated over. So I just finished sewing a huge tutu for her uh, last weekend. And so I still <laughs> like the creative um, artistic side quite a bit. And of course, I use it a ton at work too. So oh, sure. I love that. You were so interesting. I just love that. Who knew, right? Who knew? So you got how many children? I have two. I have a 14 year old daughter and a seven year old son. 
okay. And your family's doing all, everybody's good. Everybody's safe, healthy, good. They are. They've actually settled in so well. Um, it's just been really, really fun to watch both of my kids bloom here really in different ways and um, probably more so even than they were in Colorado. So that's been fantastic. Uh, My husband is doing well too. So yeah, everybody has, everybody's really settled in very well. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. Now I know that your job probably, I don't know, maybe it hasn't been as fun as it possibly could be lately. I'm guessing maybe not, but I just want you to know there are so many people here that are so grateful for you and all that you've done this far. And we know you're just getting started. So tell me what makes you get up in the morning? What makes you want to get up and get to work and get to going? Well, that's, it's kind of a loaded question because I'm not a morning person. (laughs) So there's really nothing that makes me want to get out of bed in the morning. Um, I will say my husband hand delivers a cup of coffee to my, to me in bed in the mornings. And that's, it's, it's literally like a jump start uh, because I'm just not a morning person, but what really gets me going honestly is uh, people. So, you know, that sounds like a platitude or, you know, it sounds kind of cheesy, but that really and truly is what uh, gets me out of bed every day is, is knowing that I have a purpose. I have a bigger purpose to serve people, Mm -hmm. take care of people and to um, have some level of connection. Um, That's, that's really, that's really what my life goal is, is to, is to just take care of people, serve people. Uh, so that that gets me going. Leadership, of course, gives you this beautiful opportunity to forge connections and to serve people because you've got an entire, you know, in my case, I have an entire organization full of people that I get to, right. um, I, I really look at as serving them. You know, they're, they're really the ones doing the hard work. Um, they're the mm-hmm. ones that are, you know, public facing all the time, that are running programs, that are uh, doing budgets and all of this, this really in-depth work in my job really is to uh, take care of them the best that I can so that they can do a good job. So I, I actually just love that. That's, it's my favorite part of the job. That's amazing. Well, first of all, your husband is a keeper. I mean, <laughs> yeah, he is. gets coffee delivered. Wow. Okay. I've got to have a talk with my partner. So anyways, he's awesome. But I also love that as much as you love everybody on the staff and everything, because you're right. I have to believe that things are not like normal, busier than all get out. I'm sure there's stress. I'm sure there's lots of not sleeping and whatnot. So I'm really glad they have you. So in your past, I'm looking at all of the things you've done so far. It's amazing. So you were a public health nurse down in Lincoln. You were a nurse epidemiologist in the army. Wait, for the army. Is yes, that I was a civilian. I wasn't, I was not in the army. I just worked for them as a civilian, but yes. So that means you dealt with communicable disease control activities. Oh yes. Oh yeah. So did they prepare you for something like COVID? I would say yes. So okay. yes and no. I don't know that any of us could have been completely prepared. You know, we don't actually really ever know what something's going to look like until it happens. And that certainly <laughs> true for COVID. Right. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, when I was in Lincoln uh, as a public health nurse, one of my, my big uh, thoughts was, you know, as a public health nurse, I am going to spend a couple years here, there, everywhere, really getting experience in everything. But my heart really landed in, in, uh, disease investigation and communicable disease. So, so much. How did you get, how did you get there? 
I mean, how did you get interested in diseases? Uh, well, I've always kind of had that interest. I would say, you know, in high school, I did take science classes. I just want to, I want to say, <laughs> I did take some science classes. I had classes. to. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, um, I really loved uh, like microbiology and it was just, it always fascinated me how diseases act and how they, you know, how, how a body deals with disease and how transmission mm-hmm. occurs in a community and how you've got like the zoonotic diseases where it starts in an animal and, oh now it's in a person. And uh, it's just very fascinating. So uh, I, I kind of gravitated that direction just because I thought it was really interesting. Um, mm-hmm. And so I started out as just a general public health nurse that was working in the clinic. You know, I did a little bit of everything, giving immunizations sure. and pregnancy tests and all these different things. Um, I was also out at the juvenile detention center mm. uh, down in Lincoln as their nurse during that time. And then they had a position that opened up in, in communicable disease as a basically a communicable disease nurse. And basically what that person does is, you know, they monitor what's happening in the community in terms of reportable diseases. So right. when we would get a reportable a report on a reportable disease, mm-hmm we call up that person and say, Hey, you have salmonella or E. coli or whatever. Um, I have some questions for you. So then you would, you know, you go through the investigation uh, process where you're asking all these questions and and Mm -hmm. trying to uh, make any, any connections like, Oh, did I just do another one, another salmonella case that reported the same thing? Um, So you're, you're kind of making those connections. Mm -hmm. Uh, also providing a lot of education to the, to people because, you know, most of the public doesn't necessarily know what is entailed in having one of those diseases. So you're providing a lot of education and support. Um, So that's nice too, you know, getting to have that connection, but just really fascinating to see kind of how things move through a community. Well, Um, sure. Pretty darn good at that. And so then I, and I, I found that I was good at data, which who knew, because that was not anything I ever uh, tried before, but uh, I ended up getting a job with the army, um, doing population health, and then uh, in their in their preventive medicine department, which was where I did a lot of that epidemiology work. So there, same thing, you know, yeah. reports, investigating, and then a whole lot of STD work. So lots and oh. lots of STD work. And then um, tons of education. So I gave presentations on STDs in a movie theater full of full of soldiers. Or um, I think there were a couple times I was in a mechanics bay giving it. Or um, if they had high rates, some in a in a battalion, sometimes I'd have to go give a presentation while they were all standing there at attention. Um, Jeez, really interesting. But yes, I was there during H1N1. So that little pandemic uh, Mm -hmm. happened and I call it like little. Yeah, (laughs) really teeny. Yes. So (laughs) that I would say was a a fair dress rehearsal for some of what we we had happening when COVID started. So Mm -hmm. very familiar with with, uh, oh, we're kind of watching what's happening in another area. Um, you know, in another country, even kind of monitoring, okay, well, what's happening here? What kinds of, uh, you know, disease illnesses are we seeing coming in through an emer- our emergency rooms or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, doing that surveillance and, and then, you know, kind of having conversations with partners about, hey, if this comes here, what, what, what might we do? You're pulling out your plans, 
you know, we've had pandemic plans for some time now. Uh, so pulling those out, kind of making sure everybody's reviewed those. So uh, I did have some, I, I feel like I had kind of a good dress rehearsal working for the military in that setting uh, when that hit. And so it, that was that was a good experience. It was great. We had great leadership there at preventive medicine. So that was helpful too. Um, and then I, you know, after about 10 years working for the military, I ended up uh, taking over the public health nursing workforce for the Department of Health in Wyoming. So mm-hmm. I oversaw um, that workforce when the next pandemic hit. So wow, totally. I've been all over. I feel like your your past leading up to your position here in Omaha was like totally serendipitous. Like the whole fact that you went from musician, artist to loving and studying diseases to watching over Wyoming and now you're here. So I just feel like, wow, that is a heck of a story. And again, I'm so glad. I know a lot of people in Omaha are so glad you're here. So we're at the point where we probably should talk about COVID. And so (laughs) I want to say again, thank you. When you issued the mask mandate, So many of us cheered because it felt like for the first time, somebody actually cared. I mean, in Nebraska, it doesn't feel like a lot of people here care about us. I'm not going to name names, but when you issued that, I'm not kidding. There were so many people that did a hooray and said, thank God, finally, yes. You know, I immediately printed out a poster and put it up on our door at work. Like, hooray, put on a mask. Because some people, as you know, are not okay with this simple ask. And did you have any idea that when you issued this, it was going to be such a hot mess? I mean, I just am stunned that the state wants to sue you. It's just like, what? I mean, were you stunned by that? Are you ready for that? I was ready for that. I have to say it was not it was not necessarily a surprise. Um, Knowing, you know, previously uh, when I had requested a mask mandate for the county, that was, mm-hmm. that was denied. Um, so I, I wasn't, they, I wasn't surprised at all. Um, mm-hmm. but felt that we were on solid legal ground to do it for the city. So, you know, the bottom line is, um, it's not, it's absolutely not about politics for me. It it's, it's about taking care of the community and sometimes you have to make hard decisions. Um, and you're going to, you're going to ruffle some feathers when you do that. It's just inevitable. And, um, I, it's unfortunate that it's that way, but it's, it, it truly is not about politics for me. It truly is. This is what's happening in our community. And this is what we mm-hmm. need to do to contain that or to stop that. Um, you know, I, I take very seriously freedoms. I take very seriously all of those things. Um, but there's, there's a balance, um, essentially. Right. And so. Hard decisions are, you know, the right decisions are sometimes and often the hard decisions. And so um, I don't want to ever shy away from having to make a hard decision um, that's going to benefit the people that I serve, because that's ultimately what I'm here to do. Well, it comes through that you really do care. And that, like I said, that goes a long ways for some of us that live in the state. Now, with the way things are going, do you think I mean, I know this is so hard to predict or I mean, because we don't know, right? We don't know what the next wave is going to bring, what it's going to look like. I guess it's already here. The stealth thing. Oh, I hate that name. Yeah. So <laughs> it's like, here's the thing. I mean, yeah, it's it's here. COVID's probably here to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, 
the chance that we had to really eradicate it or completely stop it passed pretty early on in the pandemic. Uh, we would have had to do a lot of things right globally. I'm not just saying in Nebraska or nationally, I'm saying globally, there would have had to be yep. a lot of things happening right that didn't happen uh, in order to contain that. And so um, it's here. It's here to stay. It's something that we we certainly are are going to be dealing with. Um, what's going to happen? Yeah, that's that's hard to say. And what we want to happen is mm-hmm. that we get this to kind of a flat level. Uh, you know, we call it endemic, if you, if that's right. what you want to call it. But we're getting it to kind of a flat, low level where you know, our healthcare system is, is very able to not only take care of those folks, but all of the ones who need other stuff too, you know, right. Just we're in the middle of a pandemic doesn't mean people aren't having heart attacks and strokes and cancer. And in fact, those I think have gotten maybe even worse. Yeah. Um, you know, we have huge mental health needs that are, that are bubbling up to the surface. They were there, but now they're really, really bubbling up um, because of this pandemic. We need a healthcare system that's strong mm-hmm. and, and has a, a really good foundation in order to take care of all of that. So, um, you know, that's, we really want that. We want, we want businesses to be able to function the way they need to. So not having tons of people calling in sick, same right. with our schools. We don't, you know, we have to have teachers who right. are sick. Oh. So there are just a lot of things that we're trying to achieve. And so that's why we pull out all these tools like vaccines and masks Mm -hmm. and distancing and, um, you know, kind of all of these, no one thing is going to end it or, or get us there. It's, it's many things kind of layered on top of each other um, until we can get an immune, an an immunity level in our community Mm -hmm. uh, that kind of keeps it low level. Right. So not only here, but were you surprised? Um, let's see, what year was that? Did we start this? 2020? Oh my gosh. It, time is so right. weird. It's like BC they're before COVID. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Yeah, they're like lost years. People but say I mean, March of 2020. And I'm like, oh, that's so this past March. Oh, that's not right. I know. <laughs> I know. I'm like, I don't even know what's happening. But I just am still surprised at the division in our country because I don't know, since we've been born, we've been getting vaccinations. Mm-hmm. And I know that person that was in charge made it kind of political, but I just feel like, come on, y'all, common sense. I mean, think about all the shots we have ever gotten and we're still alive, probably maybe because of those shots, but it just boggles my mind. Like, I yeah. mean, it hurts my brain. <laughs> it does. It does. And there has that, that, um, so those who don't want to vaccinate, that group has been around for some time. It's been, you know, before probably a smaller group. I think that it has certainly expanded in mm-hmm. the face of COVID. Um, but interestingly enough, uh, so the the study that got published that really kind of led to a lot of that sentiment was retracted 20 years ago now. On, oh. It was 20 years ago, I think yesterday, really? uh, that that so there was there was basically a study that was published in the Lancet um, that that said there was a connection between autism and the MMR, so the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine. A lot of the data in that study was falsified. So mm. uh, of course, when that was discovered, that got retracted. That um, physician lost his license. 
it, it was a big thing. So there have been many studies since then that refutes that connection. Um, but yeah, it was retraction. We said happy retraction day <sighs> yesterday because we were yeah, celebrating that, that that got retracted. Yeah. That's just amazing to me. And, you know, America has been here before. I read this. It was just like an op-ed in New York Times talking about the 1918 influenza and how it got into like the third wave, but then it came back for the fourth wave and everybody mm-hmm. was tired of it. They didn't care. And it was the fourth wave that wiped so many people out. What is it that makes us so apathetic towards things like this? That's a really good question. It's a really <laughs> great study of human behavior and really what our tolerance level is for prolonged stress and, and, uh, suffering, I would say, uh, especially when there's a lot of different kinds of information now, especially now. I mean, I'm sure there was disinformation or misinformation even back in 1918. It just traveled really slow. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But now Now it's like seconds. It, it, with a huge reach, huge reach. So you think about how news would have traveled in 1918. There were probably plenty of um, people who couldn't read, who maybe didn't have access to um, hearing about things that were happening. So uh, it didn't reach a lot of people. Uh, right. Nowadays, that's not the case. So I, it's a great question. And I hope somebody studies it and publishes a lot on kind of that that human behavior component. Cause I think that has been like one of the most fascinating things about, about this whole thing. Oh, it really has been. And it's just, I mean, like I haven't traveled since 2019. I, I do not feel personally that that is the right thing to do. I have friends that have that fly and do road trips and I do you that's great, but I feel like it's not the right thing. Yes. I'm bored of sitting on the couch, but I don't want to like accidentally kill somebody like my mother or somebody I work with because I had to go on with my life and I do know this will end. I hope someday, but until then it's just like, I'm okay just to be safe. But I feel like yeah. so many other people are like, whatever, I'm going to go on with my life. And I'm like, okay, you're making me nervous, but yeah. But I get and it. it's really that, that middle ground, like trying to get the most people into that middle ground where, well, okay, I, I really would like to live my life, but I also, really want to protect myself and the people around me. So how can I best do that? Um, right. And so, it, it, but it's hard. It's hard to get people there because people are pretty oh, adamant one or the other. Oh yeah. It's yeah. super hard. I mean, I am somebody that loves music too. I'm a musician. I miss going to concerts. I miss going to see art, but I know it will always be there. I'm hoping. <laughs> so you know what, you know, what's exciting to me. I have to tell you this. So just on the, the music and art component of that, so think about all, all of the trauma that we have experienced over the past two years collectively. I mean, not even just COVID, but we've had, you know, racial injustice that has been there, but has really, I mean, it's, it's, it's so much more obvious and I think in, in our faces, um, mm-hmm. which is good that we're able to recognize and, and maybe finally have the, you know what, to address it. Um, <laughs> but art and music I think are going to be two huge interventions to help us collectively heal um, to help us express kind of what we've just been through to to help us um, share what our experiences have been with other people so you know art and music both express 
the inside in a, in a way that that is kind of almost universal. So you can you cannot have lived someone's life, but you look at a painting that they've done and it may really speak to you um, or, or you hear a song and you're like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, uh, and I think that's going to be such a huge, huge, important piece of our way forward. Um, obviously, lots of other things are going to be necessary, too. But I think those are going to be such important pieces for us. I think you're right. And I think not only we musicians and artists, but also the people that take that in. And that is such a lovely, lovely thought. And I think we'll leave that there because this is, we're running out of time and we'll leave it with that lovely thought. We're going to go appreciate music and we're going to go appreciate art and create it. And we're all going to be okay. I hope someday. And again, Dr. Hughes, thank you so much for taking care of our city. Seriously. We all appreciate you so much and are so grateful that you're here. And thank you for the time today. We really appreciate it. Anytime. It was an absolute joy and the highlight of my day. Oh, thank you so much. Well, I'm Cami Carlisle, and that was Dr. Hughes. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. Thanks so much for tuning in. You've been listening to Community Conversations on Radio Talking Book. It's the interview program that brings you voices from the Omaha community. The Radio Talking Book Network is brought to you with the cooperation of KIOS-FM in Omaha and statewide through the facilities of NET Radio and Television. We've been proudly serving our blind and visually impaired listeners for 46 years. Thank you for being a loyal Radio Talking Book listener and supporter.